0: Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you.
1: Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Hour number two of Mornings with Carmen for this Friday the 13th. I'm Paul Perot. No, no, Carmen's fine. Nothing bad happened. That Friday the 13th stuff is, you know, I've actually had really good luck on the 13th of Friday, including, Ryan, one time, okay, this goes back to fifth grade, and it was on Friday the 13th. We're having some sort of thing where we're having a party and we're making ice cream instead of buying ice cream we get to make it and i got to be one of the people who got to make it they said you want to do it it was friday the 13th i said sure boy friday the 13th must be good monday the 13th however that's different (laughs) that is what a memory (laughs) is that is that the ice cream in the bag where you do it that way no 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 we had a crank thing okay we had had one we had an old ice cream maker okay and it was it was a science experiment so you know seeing how it was done so, I got to do it in a bag at school, but your method sounds a little more fun. The old crank so, things, yeah. yeah. You put the ice, the salt, <laughs> you put the container in the, that spins. Really cool, really cool. So anyway, <laughs> Mornings with Carmen, one thing we urge you to do is apply the mind of Christ to the issues of the day and also to pray the news and among the things to pray about. Uh, as you've been following the news, they just mentioned it a bit ago on uh, the SIFT uh, from World News. Um. More coming out regarding the document issues, uh, just like Trump had those classified documents in his possession in an unsecured place. It's been found out. A matter of fact, it was found out actually before the election in early November that some classified documents were in some of Biden's offices and actually in a garage of his that shouldn't have been there. And yesterday, as a as a result of that, the Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed a former U.S. attorney to Maryland named Robert Hur, who was a Trump appointee to that position in Maryland, as a special prosecutor to inve- investigate Trump, uh, rather Biden's alleged mishandling of classified documents. From my standpoint, it's like, OK, we need to step back. Is there a bigger issue here regarding the state of security of our, of documents that need to be protected for the sake of our country? And were these documents used for anything, well... Wrong. Those need to be researched. Those need to be investigated. So hopefully all goes well. There's already a person investigating. Uh, the, Merrick Garland has, an, has a person investigating the issue of Trump's document uh, breaches as well. Meanwhile, across the pond, pray for this woman. I, I, I closed the article. I shouldn't have done that. But basic, and this will be in the show notes, but there was a lady right before Christmas in England, in the UK, and she was outside an abortion facility. And she was standing out there for a while, and some people were asking, "Are you? what are you doing here? Are, are you praying? Well, yeah, in my head. They arrested her. They arrested her for praying outside the abortion facility. Now, there's been restrictions here in America regarding such things, and it's depending on the state. But in England, there's a national law against protesting outside of abortion facilities, and prayer is seen as that. And we'll see how that happens. But pray for her. Pray for Priscilla Presley and the Presley family. Yesterday, Lisa Marie Presley, the singer, um, daughter of Elvis and Priscilla, passed away of a medical issue that came up yesterday at the age of 54. And for her fans, yes, but also for her family, be in prayer. You know, one thing that keeps coming up and something to pray through has to do with our kids. Has to do with the issue that porn is so pervasive in our culture. As a matter of fact, just recently, a new survey by an organization, an advocacy group for children, a uh, child advocacy organization called Common Sense Media, did a survey, and they basically came to the conclusion: fifty-four percent of teens report having seen online porn before. The age of 13, 12, the average age when children first consume the content. Now, people at Common Sense Media and many others focus on the family and many others have advocated raised concerns that ease of access to online pornographic content can lead, as kids ingest this stuff, to take it in. It leads to poor mental health, sexual violence, and other negative outcomes. Among those, I, I, I'm I'm so thankful. Now this goes back a few years. Comedian Russell Brand, not exactly a Bible bump, uh, Bible thumping Christian by any stretch. Russell Brand, he basically put out a video years ago, and since that time has become a person saying, "Hey, pornography ruined my ability to have relationships. It affected my ability to have." It. I don't know if it's totally ruined. I mean, you can recover, but still. It affected him so deeply, he finally came to the realization porn is destructive, and he has become a uh, an anti-porn activist. So hats off to him. But that still leaves us as parents. What do we do? Because porn is everywhere. How do we help our kids navigate it to avoid it or actually see something bigger than what porn offers? And I think we want to talk about that. Best person I can think of is our media guru. Adam Holtz from Plugged In, who will be joining us in one minute here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Helping us, helping us nav our, helping us help our families navigate media. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, Adam Holtz right now from Plugged In, joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Pro and Faith Radio. Adam, hello, hello. How you doing? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Doing well, doing well. I was just talking about that article, and we want to go deeper into it, but the research from Common Sense Media. Paul Acey has a good article up right now on the Plugged In blog, again at Mm PluggedIn.com, and... Let's walk through that article that Paul wrote. What really jumped out at me is, here's the line he had in there. About 58% of respondents to this, you know, teens responding to the survey say they stumbled across such content accidentally initially. They weren't looking for it, but it found them anyway.
2: Yeah, and I would just share a very brief story. I used to have a boss. Whose um, initials were BW? It was Bob Walleszewski. Oh yeah, BW. My, my my predecessor. Yes. And I knew this is this is a little bit of a story, so bear with me. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I knew that Best Western had changed their logo to BW on their signs. <laughs> okay. And it was his birthday, and I thought it would be fun to just get that image, to print out an image of a Best Western sign and slap it on a, you know, a makeshift card or something. I'm actually, I'm not crafty and I'm not that creative, but I had an idea, right? <clears throat> and you ran with it. So, uh, and I ran with it. So I did an image search on BW. Uh, and I, obviously I, I, I didn't have, there's a basic safe search function on Google that you can turn on. Right. Uh, that must not have been on. The very first image, the very first one, was a topless woman. Now, wow. I did not expect that, and nor was I looking for it. I wasn't flirting with it. Uh, you know, sometimes you know when you're sort of, you know in your heart when you're looking for something you shouldn't look for and you're kind of looking for it. <laughs> um, no, and I. it took me a second. It thought I was looking for black and white photos And if I was looking for black and white photos, I must have been looking for nude pictures. Um, And it kind of blew my mind. And Mm -hmm. so that's an example from my own life of a totally innocent, unrelated search that led to explicit imagery, right? And the reality is there are lots of things that you can do an innocent search for and or you have one keystroke that's wrong on an address and there's an entire industry that capitalizes on misspelled uh website names right and and many of those take you to pornography and so frankly i think that that's the biggest reason to have some sort of filtering system on your computers at home on your devices because innocent searches and innocent mistakes spelling things can sometimes be you know, first exposure to images that you certainly don't want your kids seeing.
1: Yeah, the porn producers know that if they can get you in, and that's that's, right. that's why I mean, I I underlined when I saw Paul's article. It found them anyway. I underlined right. that because there, there's people actively, there's people on the internet actively trying to get you to find them. Oh yeah,
2: so absolutely, absolutely, and and the balance of Paul's article, in really brief summary, is. To be proactive to talk about your this issue with your kids to recognize that filters play an important role in the past uh focus on the family has recommended covenant eyes we have recommended net nanny there is a newer and really pretty comprehensive filtering system from a company out of israel called canopy uh which might it does social media it does text it does everything Mm. Um, You know, I think that those are that's an important step. But I think even more so than that, um, the filters offer a defense, right? right? You know, you're put you're putting up a shield. But we have as Christians, a theology that says, God created our sexuality as a good thing, and a beautiful thing, and something that reflects our creation in his image, male and female, and that in the context of a covenantal relationship, it does the most incredible of all things. It yields new life. Uh, and in that, I mean, we're not gods, but we're we're reflecting God's creative character when our sexuality is expressed in the channel and in the way that, that he designed it. And obviously, you can read Song of Solomon, which is actually a pretty erotic book in some ways, and see that god is is pro sex which might sound like a very strange thing to say but that that is a it's a good gift but outside of the context in which he's designed it we you know we share intimacy we share a part of our lives with someone without the protection of the promise that i'm not going anywhere mm-hmm. right? and so that covenant we have yeah. that covenant we have to we have to help our kids understand you know. It's often been said that one of the problems with the purity movement is, you know, sex is bad and filthy and don't do it. Save it for somebody you love. Right. And so, (laughs) you know, we have to be able to have, I think, a pretty sophisticated conversation, uh, a theological conversation about the foundation of sexuality. And it really is rooted in being created in God's image. Mm -hmm. And it's a good thing. But outside of the protection of its context, it becomes something that can be incredibly damaging and hurtful both emotionally and physically and we know you know the consequences of unwanted pregnancy are, are myriad you mm-hmm. know from poverty to abortion to damaged relationships to you know the list goes on and on and on and all of those things in, in many ways stem from potentially sexual activity outside the context that god designed it for right
1: and that is something i know you we were talking off air beforehand and you plan to go deeper into that than paul's article has paul just touches on it but this is something that we really need as 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 parents as christian parents as churches really need to build out to have a good theology and understanding of of this to, to express it better because yeah, we can just say, okay, you can just use a, you can just use what you said, you know, God has a beautiful, beautiful design. But if we don't explain what that beautiful design is, if we don't paint that picture for, for the next generation, it's just going to be, yeah, you have, you have your catchphrase. There's a lot of catchphrases out there. Let's move on.
2: Right. No, exactly. And, And I think that one way that we do that, if I can press on just another step or two here, My kids are 12, 14, and 16. We are right in the middle of this. Uh, One of my kids had an explicit picture sent to them by someone anonymously, Mm. and and it got through our filtering system. And um, we had a very long conversation about that. I think in the past, we thought, and by we, I mean parents, you know, you have books about having the talk. Right. And it's like, okay, we have the talk, we check the box. And we move on as if it's a done deal, right? I think I think what's different now, because our culture, our culture has rejected God, and it's looking for transcendent meaning in sexuality, like if you throw God out the window, for a lot of people looking for meaning and purpose and, and, you know, pleasure, sexuality is going to be the next thing that comes up on the list. And I think that's part of what's happening culturally. What that means for us is that it's not one talk, it's an ongoing conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I regularly talk to my 16-year-old son, and I, my wife talks to my daughters more about this stuff than I do, um, you know, what's the deal with pornography? You know, do you have any friends that are looking at it? Have you been tempted, and not in a, a scoldy, I'm checking in on you way, but right. just, just communicating we are going to have an ongoing conversation about this, and that doesn't even touch on—it's a related issue. But obviously, the LGBT issues in our culture are related to this conversation too. Right. My daughter, four, fourteen, came home from school the other day and said, "I think half the people in my class are gay." <laughs> well, let let's have a conversation, conversation
1: Yeah. That. Don't, um, we, yeah, we got to so quit we've hiding. We've
2: got to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. we got to quit it, hiding. And I, yeah, um, and. Maybe we may need to take a break. I have one other thing that I want to say that's super important here.
1: Okay, let's do that (laughs) after the break because we are over time here. But again, we're talking to Adam Holtz from Plugged In. I'm Paul Perl filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. no, the bumps,
2: no the bruises, no
1: this is mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen as we continue talking to Adam Holtz of Plugged In, and again, getting back to the topic of our teens and pornography. And I, I, okay, Adam, we were talking about how we need to have that long-term conversation with our kids regarding these issues in the broader context of God's beautiful designs. But yep. you had one more thought you wanted to add in there.
2: Well, I, I wanted to say, and, and this is a little bit confessional. You know, I had my first exposure to pornography when I was 11, which would have been 1981, right? Mm -hmm. This is not a new thing. And, you know, a lot of of my peers had, you know, Playboys or whatever. That was probably the gateway drug back then. Obviously, things are more explicit now. But the difference is those sources were, A, extraordinarily difficult to get your hands on, Mm -hmm. and B, and this is my main point they were finite you know you had a finite number of pictures whether it was 10 or 20 or whatever it was and they're still shots and they're still shots what's different now is that the availability the images both videos and stills it's infinite right Mm -hmm. if you go down that rabbit hole online you can functionally go forever and so our our kids' ability to end up in some place far more explicit and far more degrading than, you know, old-fashioned, if I can use that word, uh, pornography, uh, it's very real. And, and I think that that's, that's what's different. Now, it's not that pornography is a new thing. We've had you know, pornea is a, is a word in yeah. Greek. It's been around since biblical times. There were temple prostitutes in Corinth and Ephesus. This is, sexual sin is not a new thing, right? Uh-uh. But what is new is this particular access to imagery related to it. And so as parents, it just, it behooves us to be engaged in every way, proactively, protectively, uh, and conversationally to help guide our kids through this. because. Right. Man, man, it's a tough world out there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the world is going to reinforce that message. The internet's going to yes. – as parents, we – as part of discipling our kids. There's the word we yes, haven't used, exactly. discipling. We have to yep. continually reinforce the goodness of God and his designs on an ongoing basis, especially because they're being bombarded. Okay. We have just a yep. couple of minutes here, and I, I don't want to forget, uh, you know, you do movie reviews, entertainment reviews, yeah, yeah. TV would and you, all that. Yeah, but there's a reason yes. you do that, because you want to bring these worldview conversations in. And there's exactly. a move. if we can be really quick about these, uh, there's yep. a couple of things on Netflix. One is yeah. RRR, which is an India-based yeah. movie that's getting a lot of, lot of attention
2: on Netflix. It is um, the most expensive Indian movie ever made it's an action movie. It's a buddy movie. It's a romance. It's a musical. I'm pretty sure there are two or three other kitchen sinks in there somewhere. (laughs) Um, Throwing everything at it, huh? (laughs) uh, The best quick comparison might be to say it's almost like an Indian superhero movie. They aren't technically superheroes, but, but the action here is frenetic. Um, and, um, USA Today called it their favorite movie of 2022. And it's sort of just in the last few weeks really bubbled up in the public consciousness. So you'll find our review of it.
1: There. Okay. And there's if somebody's looking for something inspiring, is dog, go,
2: dog Gone Good? Yeah, it's a pretty good movie. It's about a college student who loses his dog. And the movie really is about he and his dad looking for the dog together. It's really a father and son movie that sort of uses a dog as a hook and um, you won't need an entire case of Kleenex a la Old Yeller at the end. So I don't want to spoil it too much. uh, It it is a heartwarming family kind of. And there's some profanity in it. Okay, okay,
1: there is that issue. But it's based on a real story, is what I saw. Based. It (laughs) It is, yeah. Yep. (laughs) All right, thanks a lot, Adam. Uh, We uh, Actually, we won't be talking to you next week because we have a special event coming up next Thursday and Friday talking about the organization One Child. So we'll catch you in a couple of weeks. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right. That sounds great, Paul. Adam Holtz from Plugged In. Find out all the reviews, the the article we talked about regarding pornography and such and our kids, and more, ever so much more, at PluggedIn.com. Breakpoint is next here on Faith Radio. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen on this Friday. And getting back to what Adam and I were talking about when it comes to pornography and such and helping our kids navigate, Carmen has had some conversations with Hannah George. Hannah George leads an organization called Filter First. I don't remember the website. I think we can put that in the show notes, though. We'll also link the one of the conversations that uh, that Carmen had with Hannah George, how we can Actually, be there to help our kids think through a lot of the issues of porn. And it's, it, it, it's more than just putting up a wall. It's actually building in their heart, a, again, that appreciation for God's good design, which is ever, ever so important. Okay. How's your anxiety level been? Maybe it hit you when you went to the store and looked at the price of a uh, carton of eggs lately. Well, good news uh, on the, on the, on the inflation front, the inflation rate has been declining. As a matter of fact, it dropped from in November of last year, 7.1 to 6.5 in December. So, yes, there's still inflation. It's slowing, which is good news. Hopefully that brings your your anxiety level down. But then again, what are you feeling anxious about today? How are you dealing with that? Are you trying to take control over matters that make you actually feel worse? Okay, does God's, wisdom ha- God's Word have wisdom for us this morning when it comes to dealing with anxiety and, well, control issues? Sharon Hottie-Miller will help us think through that in about three minutes as we continue Mornings with Carmen on this Friday here on Faith Radio. Are you a micromanager or are you constantly in anxiety over issues in your relationships, maybe your workplace, your reputation, your looks? Okay, where's God's promised peace in all this to help us answer that? Is Sharon Hottie Miller. She joins us now. She is the uh, teaching pastor along with her husband, Ike. They founded a church, uh, what, Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina. She's also a Disney connoisseur. And I tell you, Sharon, that's going to be hard because um, I like making Disney references uh, that might pop up here and there. Is, is oh, that so-
3: man. <laughs> that This could derail the whole conversation. It could.
1: <laughs> I should just let it go, Right.
3: Oh, (laughs) yes. And I'm going to Disney in less than a month. So I could just honestly talk about that. (laughs) Oh,
1: you could. But we're not going to go there. What we want to talk about is your new book, The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power, God Promises. And I've been scanning through the book. I wish I had time to read it cover to cover. But what I saw is just so good. Now, a lot of books these days start at the same point because it's just such a big thing we've all faced. And that was the pandemic. And that kind of birthed this book, didn't it, for you?
3: Yeah, as much as I hate to say it, during the pandemic, I kept promising myself, I'm not going to write a pandemic book. I'm not going to write a pandemic book. But as I was leading our church with my husband and watching how people in our church, Christians online, were responding to the pandemic, it was very revealing Mm -hmm. of the state of discipleship in the church right now. And it it was just burning in my soul. And I realized I've got to write about this.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's get to what you saw. I mean, just give me one thing you saw that just, uh, just totally hit you. I guess when you saw what was happening within our Christian circles.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, for followers of Jesus, we are actually heirs to millennia of spiritual resources. You know, mm-hmm. prayer. God's word, you know, all all of the teachings and scriptures were were written by people. They're inspired by God, but they're written by people who were oppressed, who were suffering, who were in exile, and who are telling us how we can face uncertainty without fear. And so we have all this available to us. And yet, when everything shut down, realizing we're not drawing on those resources. <laughs> no. There wasn't anything that we we're the way that Christians were responding was not really qualitatively different than the rest of the world. And one of the things that it really exposed with it was this intolerance for uncertainty. Mm. And as I was watching people in my church, people online, you know, Christians online try to reimpose a sense of control. Over an out-of-control world, I realized this is a huge idol.
1: It is. And then you, from there, talk about control being an illusion. Because mm-hmm. it was pretty obvious during the pandemic. I mean, people were trying everything. They were told to do this, told not to do that. Or if they were told to do something, well, I'm not doing. I mean, people would mm-hmm. do all these things. It,
3: mm-hmm.
1: Talk about the illusory nature of, of control.
3: Well, I don't know about you, but I have heard that phrase control is an illusion before. It's a really common phrase, but I did not realize that the illusion of control is an actual psychological term that has been researched for decades and decades. And it was first coined in the 70s by a psychologist who was noticing all these different ways that the people she was studying would invent. This imagined sense of control in order to cope with reality. And a really funny, silly, low stakes example of this there's been studies that show that casino players, when they want to roll a high number, they will shake the dice harder. And when they <laughs> want to roll a low number, they'll shake it softer. And you and I both know this does nothing at yeah, all. There's <laughs> no
1: science to it
3: yes but it gives you the sense that you are somehow imposing your will on this situation and this plays out in in all sorts of ways but but what it what she gleaned from this research is that we are so unwilling to confront our lack of control over the world, that we will literally invent these illusions of control that make us feel in control, whether or not we actually are. And it's that feeling of control for a lot of us that we're actually after. It's not not even actual control. It's it's that feeling of control. And you could see a lot of people scrambling for that in 2020, you know, whether they were just frantically researching all the time, just scrolling the mm-hmm. internet, you know, trying to find information that, that would make the world feel more predictable. And that was actually about the illusion of control. And so that's such a fascinating idea to think about as Christians.
1: It is. We're talking to Sharon Hottie Miller, author of the book, The Cost of Control. Oh, yes, we uh, do have copies we're giving away. So text the word book to 877-933-2484 to get in on the drawing for a copy of The Cost of Control. Uh, Sharon, I mean, you were talking about that and how people will shake the dice harder. I think of some athletes who will wear a certain pair of socks because Mm -hmm. they feel that gives them— it's a superstitious thing. But beyond superstition, yeah. I mean, like you talked, people are trying to find some little bit of information when they're scrolling through everything during the pandemic or maybe with during this past election that it would give them that sense of control. Now, uh-huh. there's the key problem. Uh, one of the key aspects of your book, which I like, is the fact that, OK, when we use the terms anxiety and, and control, those are big, nebulous terms. Uh-huh. And you spend time actually breaking it down you called it naming the problems uh-huh. and just like we try and name the problem as being sin, which is true technically yes, it's all the product of sin but uh-huh. while technically true in many ways it's unhelpful unless uh-huh. we really get down to the nitty-gritty and name things, right?
3: Yeah, well, anyone who picks up the book, you're going to notice, and and I talk about this at the beginning of the book, you're going to notice that a majority of the book is devoted to biopsying control. And I don't get to the solution until the very, very end, which could be frustrating to people (laughs) because the, the first question I always get is, you know, what do I do instead? And what I really want to do at the beginning of the book is say, not so fast. We really need to name what is going on correctly to to understand it rightly, just in the same way you would if, if someone had a sickness of some sort. If you rush that diagnosis and you give an incorrect diagnosis, then you're also going to treat it incorrectly and you won't actually be healed. And that's really important when it comes to control, because that relationship with with control and anxiety particularly is one that we get really, really muddled. We tend to think I am feeling anxiety because of the circumstances around me. And that might be partially true. But one of the reasons we feel so much anxiety in the world is not just because of our circumstances, but how we are responding to them. Whenever we try to control a situation that we cannot control, that actually ratchets up our anxiety even more. And again, a very low stakes example of this, I think of my my middle son, he's about to turn eight. He loves Legos, but he does not have those fine motor skills yet. Mm -hmm. And so I'll watch him try and, and pull apart these Legos or force a Lego And when it's not submitting to him, I can see the, you know, vessels in his his the veins in his forehead, you know, start to stick out because he's so mad, you know, work, work like he he wants to control this Lego and it's not submitting to him and you can just see his his anxiety escalating. Mm -hmm. And that's a very low stakes example But in a much higher stakes example, we experience this with loved ones when they are making choices that we know are destructive and everything in us wants to snatch them out of the jaws of, you know, destruction and catastrophe. And so we are doing everything in our power to make them make the right choice. And we think that our anxiety is just because of them, that that if they would make a different choice, that we would feel better. And that's partially true, but not entirely. We're we're forfeiting any peace available to us in those situations by trying to control a situation that we cannot control. And because of that, a lot of us get stuck in this control anxiety cycle where our anxiety causes us to control. And then that control creates more anxiety. And then we turn to control to soothe that anxiety, and around and around we go.
1: <laughs> Vicious circle. Vicious mm-hmm. circle. So Exactly. Again, we're talking to Sharon Hottie Miller here on Mornings with Carmen about her latest book, The Cost of Control. Yes, we do have copies. We're giving away a handful of copies to get in on the drawing. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. When we continue, okay, we're talking about some of the problems, but – what does the Bible help us do to confront this? And we're going to deal with that a little more fully, just a little bit more, in the next few minutes here on Faith Radio on Mornings with Carmen.
3: Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Suzy Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Suzy Larson Live at myfaithradio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day.
2: God, you don't need me, but somehow you.
1: Okay, letting go of all the anxiety. That's not easy, but God is there for you. That's what we're talking about right now as we're having a conversation. I'm Paul, by the way, filling in for Carmen. Sharon Hottie Miller is our guest right now talking about her new book, The Cost of Control. Now, Sharon, you you brought up some psychology before, but that's not your wheelhouse, really. I mean, you've studied some of that stuff, but you're more of a Bible teacher. You're more of a theologian. And what you're basically saying is, because all truth is God's truth, what the world has been discovering, the Bible has been saying, uh yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's some of the truths that the Bible reaffirms about us as humans.
3: Yes, exactly. The book is one long meditation on Genesis 3. And for anyone who's not familiar with that passage, that is the moment when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and sin entered the world. And in that moment, that is the the birthplace of all of our struggles with control. God had placed one boundary On Adam and Eve's will. They were not in control in the garden. They had this one boundary on their will. And in Genesis 3, they decide to defy that boundary. Mm -hmm. And anytime we try to control something that God has not given us control over, we are simply reenacting that moment again and again and again.
1: Hmm. That's a good point. And what are some, one of the things you brought out about in that is, okay, God gave us a place of thriving. We had the physical Uh provision. We had stability with him. He created the world good. It was stable. Uh It was beautiful. There was security, and yet we threw it away because Uh we wanted control over something else.
3: Yeah, you know, that's a really great point because for me growing up, I thought of control purely as a sin category Mm -hmm. that whenever you are trying to control something that you cannot control, that you are putting yourself in the place of God, you know, that you think your life would be more secure if you were in the driver's seat instead of God. And I think that that is true, but there is also a more, compassionate way at looking at the struggle that is especially important for anyone listening who is wishing they could help a loved one who is in trouble. And, and you wish you could control. You you do know what is best in that situation. Mm-hmm. And it it's helpful... And a grace to remember that part of the reason we struggle with control is not just sin in us, but sin in the world, that we we live in this broken world, mm-hmm. and that even though we live in this post-Genesis 3 world, this world that is broken by sin, we were actually created for Genesis 1 and 2. We are created for stability. We are created for, for peace and security. And so whenever we long for those things, that is not sin. It's how we go about pursuing it that is the problem. And so I, I want to speak that that grace over anyone <laughs> who is really struggling with control because you're bumping up against the brokenness of this world.
1: Yeah. Sharon, one thing you pointed out, and I love it, is, and use a term that, okay, not in the Bible explicitly, but the concepts are there, and that is of agency. Look at Adam and Eve. Okay, they didn't have control, but God gave them agency over aspects of creation, over, over a bunch of things that they could have lived in. And, okay, I want you to define agency and maybe mm-hmm. do so by telling the story about your mother-in-law because it's in the book, and I thought it was powerful.
3: Mm. Yeah, so I, as I mentioned, I spend most of the, the book looking at what is control. Why do we struggle with control? What does it cost us? And then at the very end I do look at okay well, what do we do instead? Right. And what we see in in Genesis 1 and 2 is that even though Adam and Eve are not in control, they're not powerless. They aren't puppets, they're not prisoners, they're not they're not robots. They have a lot of influence and authority and dominion and, and purpose. You know, there's so much available to them. And the word that I give for that, it is a psychological term, but I think it's a really helpful one to understand what we see in the garden is agency. And I define that as the power to influence yourself and your circumstances. And the operative word being influence, mm-hmm. not control. And so there are still limits on your will, but you you do have power. And, and, and another way that I distinguish the difference between agency and control is the difference between influence and outcome, that you can't always determine the outcome, but you have a tremendous amount of influence in the meantime. And so I look at just different forms of, of agency, different ways that, that we can implement it. But the story that you're referencing is I have a chapter on controlling our reputation. I think that's the chapter you're referring to. And I tell the story of my mother-in-law, which has profoundly impacted me. So just months before I met my husband, his father passed away from alcoholism. And prior to that, his parents had actually divorced. And like any divorce, there's always two sides to a story but the side that she did not have any control over was what people thought of her who she didn't have a chance to to talk to maybe maybe at church And there were rumors, there were all these different things kind of circulating about her when the real reason their marriage had ended was because of her husband's alcoholism. And it was really painful for her to know that people thought things about her that were not true. Mm -hmm. And she really wanted to be able to, and these are people in her church, you know, she wanted to be able to go to them and, and set the record straight and say, no like this is what happened you know I'm, I'm I'm not a bad wife I was not a bad wife but but knowing that she actually could not ultimately control what everyone thought about her and really having to release that to God and commit it to him in prayer. And it was really painful for her for a number of years. But because she did not try to control that situation, instead of she surrendered it to God, she did not heap more brokenness on top of already existing brokenness. And over time, God... Redeemed, he he really justified her, and the truth really came out, and it was because she was patient and trusted mm. in him.
1: Oh, Sharon, I wish we could talk more, but we're running out of time here. But I do urge people if they can get the book, if they're struggling with control, this would be very helpful. The cost of control, why we crave it, the anxiety it gives us, and the real power of uh, the real power God promises. Um, again, we are giving away copies. We have a handful of copies, so get in the drawing by. Uh, texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Sharon, thank you again for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen.
3: It's been great.
1: Thank you. This is Morning to Carmen back in just a moment. Well, again, thank you for listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul. been filling in today. I forgot to mention, Sharon Hottie Miller, if you want to connect with her, best website, sheworships.com. And again, thank you for listening. Remember that uh, next week here on Faith Radio, Thursday and Friday, we want to encourage you to sponsor a child. Become a child champion. You can learn more about that right now and look at some beautiful kids who just want to be loved by you at myfaithradio.com. Sponsor a child through one child. Have a great weekend. Carmen's back on Monday.